Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. It's a pleasure to be with you this week. You know, through the month of September, it has been Life Insurance Awareness Month, and we've talked about all different topics from everything of, you know, the purpose of insurance, types of insurance, the amounts of insurance. Today's show we're going to do a little bit differently, and what we're going to talk about today is what we refer to as the permission slip, which is really the essence of how does owning insurance give you the permission to do different things in your life, such as utilize assets, maybe take some risks that sometimes you wouldn't take. I don't mean risk with your life, but sometimes risk with your money, and to give you some of those freedoms. So our guest today is one of my co-hosts who's frequently on the show, Dave Suki. Dave, pleasure to have you on the show today. Hey, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here again. So, you know, it's, and when we talk about insurance, you know, we always say is, you know, it's always with the perspective of, you know, Jesus always tells us love one another. And we always say is that when we have a topic about life insurance, it's always that topic of it's done from a place of love. Because I've never seen anybody out there that runs out, buys insurance that's to benefit someone else unless they love or care about somebody else or they love or care about an organization that they want to make a difference to or that they care enough about that they want to see that this organization continues for a period of time. So just as a, a, a very short recap, when we were talking about short-term uses of insurance, such as to cover a debt, to cover income for a limited period of time, or whatever the case might be, our conversations on that have been that you, know, you can utilize permanent insurance or term insurance. Term's an effective tool for that. But permanent insurance has some other attributes to it, you know, such as the ability to perhaps build cash values, maybe have some dividends, which aren't guaranteed, but you, know, you have some opportunities with some companies. But one of the things that we talk a lot about is what we refer to as the permission slip. And so that whole concept of permission slip puts a different slant on how assets may be utilized over your lifetime. So with that perspective and that context, Dave, maybe you could take a few minutes and talk a little bit about permission slip because it's interesting. As years back, there was a CPA article that was put out. I think that article was titled The Permission, permission slip. slip. And so maybe you can give our listeners some perspective on what we t- mean by permission slip, and we'll talk about it. So, Frank, the um, the interesting you say you opened the, with the show with the Life Insurance Awareness Month, and you said something to me years ago that was interesting. You said if you just swapped out the word life insurance and put the word money in the in the statement, you really start to get a different perspective on on ultimately what it is. It's money paid at a future moment, right? Future future moment in time when somebody passes. Okay, it's pretty clear they're either, either they do or they don't. And the presence of that can really allow somebody in their in their, you know, retirement year specifically to utilize their assets creatively, differently than maybe what's common. Right, Frank, so you've been doing this a long time. We see what's common. All right. People build up assets they accumulate it to a you know a, a magical number everybody thinks you know right. the, you know the, the, the marketing lot, thinks i mean there's a company out there right now that you know they went from well one company was doing what's your number yep another company has been doing how much will you need during retirement yep. and then you know how much will how long how will long that will money last? last yes and so that that really starts to put things in perspective as it relates to how much money is going to be required during you know retirement right. or whatever a- a- absolutely frank and um, that that conversation or that those uh, you know those things are looked at 
we know what's typical. What's typical is that an individual saves up those assets, they, they, they pay down their bills, hopefully, and then whatever they've accumulated, they start to draw from in retirement. That's the hence of retirement. They're not going to work for the income. They're going to draw it from their assets. Now, it may be in the form of a pension that they have, or they create their own pensions. That's the most corporate America today. That's what you're, you're, you have to do with, you know, put money in 401ks and IRAs. Right. And I, I was going to say is, you know, it used to be the old days. You'd work for a company, retire, and you get income for life. Yep. Nowadays, because of the pending liability of that, and the pending liability of that even flows through to Social Security, is, is that people are living longer. And because people are living longer, what's occurred over time is companies realized that those pension liabilities of having to pay people for long periods of time, that's what, what we refer to as longevity risk. That risk was so high for companies that they've been running away from pensions and they've been embracing the concept of let's just put away money and whatever it grows to, it grows to. And, let, and then it went from that to even shifting it and saying, well, we'll put away some and you put away some for your own retirement. So Correct. when you say that, Dave, what, what really the trend is is that people have to save for their own retirement. Yes. But the interesting thing is, is that that longevity risk is still there and it's not going to go away. It's actually going to become greater and greater as time goes on because we live longer and longer. That's correct. And, and um, I was reading an article the other day. So the baby boomer generation, who now is in, you know, approaching retirement or some in retirement, has... On a, the tail end, by the, the way. Frank's the tail end of it, yeah. It has two facts about them. They've earned the most money of any generation ever, and they've spent the most money of any generation ever. They were having a good time. Well, well, and there's reasons for that. You know, they're, they're also in a sandwich with parents and yep. aging parents and, and kids that are, they're still supporting. Um, but the reality is they want to see the fruit of their labors. They want to enjoy their money. People don't change enjoying their money as they get older. They, In fact, a lot of them feel like they're entitled to finally enjoy it because I worked, what did I trade it off all that time to save all that money to finally maybe do the things in life I've always wanted to do, right? Fair exactly. statement. So. The, what occurs is this: if they have these assets, they're now they're now depending upon interest rates, okay, to draw down on. Now we've we've done studies, Frank. We've done our research. A typical sixty-five-year-old, you know, couple to safely not outlive their assets probably can draw on three to four percent a year. You know, what's interesting is if I went back ten years ago when they were doing those projections, they were projecting five percent a year. Right. Now, in today's environment, with interest rates as low as they are, and it was interesting, um, Bernanke you know, came out and made a statement that you won't see high interest rates again during his lifetime. And by the way, he's not that old. So what the implication is is that in low interest rates are here for a long time, even though we may see some gradual increases. But you know, when people right. talk about spikes and things like that, that long-term effect doesn't appear that we're going to see high interest rates, which means that now, when you're projecting during retirement, those 3 and 4% projections are very realistic. So when I talk to people, I, I usually say, you know, 4%, 5% at the high side of what you may project during retirement. Yeah. And, and, and that's a blended rate, by the way. And it is, Frank. So, so if, you, if you look at that and you start to break it down, if I had a client that saved and accumulated a million dollars, at five, we used five, it's $50,000 a year of distribution rate, call it, or their interest right. rate. That and by they the way, would that's subject out. to tax. Yeah, so it's gross, right? 50 Correct. gross. So the reality is, is if you're 65 and you got a longevity risk of 20 or 30 years, 
if I take more than the 5% a year, Frank, we know what happens. Correct. We're going to be paying down principal, which is, you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. So as you pay down principal, people tend to get a little nervous, right? People tend to get, you know, anxious. So years ago, you know, we, we obviously saw this coming, and we're not the only ones. Advisors see it coming. It's what we do for a living. This is our, this is our you know, our, um, our passion. So if you realize life insurance is money that's paid to someone else in the future, is it then possible that if I had assets, could I draw down on them? at a higher rate, a 7 or 8% rate, knowing I'm drawing down the principal, okay, or structuring maybe more of a, you know, a consistent stream at a higher payout rate like an annuity may, may do, okay, or annuitization option may do, I should say. And just for our listeners, when you hear that term, annuitization, annuity, it means that there's certain financial products on the market that can pay someone a combination of their principal and their interest. Correct over a period of time and because of what they refer to as aka you know they call them mortality credits they effectively never run out of money but at death that money may not be there right so right. then dave maybe explain the purpose of the insurance when well, you do something well like if that. the insurance is payable upon my death to my spouse or to my kids effectively i could replace my assets or the net worth of my assets were worth prior to me retiring to my family so I can enjoy a higher interest, higher cash flow, and still be able to achieve the legacy that I wanted with my family, and I can do it through the strategy of having a permission slip of a death benefit present at retirement to spend down and enjoy my other assets. So, you know, and just you know, capturing a little bit of what just Dave said there was, you know, when you think in terms of that longevity risk, that's what I refer to as that risk of you living a long time and possibly running out of money. But the other thing that comes into place is the longer we live mm -hmm. and the more we have that longevity risk, we have additional risks that are kicking in. And those additional risks that are kicking in are then we're getting into healthcare risks because I may be here for a longer period of time and my expenses may actually go up because the longer I'm here, the higher the probability that I may need a long-term care assistance, that I may have more medical expenses, that I may have more and more things that are going on in my life, which actually, to give you an idea, drives up the need for me to take out more and more cash flow over my lifetime and puts me in a position that I'm probably going to need to access my capital. And so, and by the way, for a married couple, you may have it occurring with one person and not the other, and so the only way to protect that other person is typically is by having insurance in place so that when something happens, those assets that were being utilized to take care of a person or whatever Correct. can be replaced through insurance at that second person or at that first person's death. And Frank, when you, you, know, when you do that math, because you've done it a thousand times, it works. Oh, absolutely. It's because there's a certainty in there. There's, there's, you know, we know we're all going somewhere one day, right? Okay. I always kid and I say, if you're going to go, don't for, don't go for nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. So, so it's not uncommon, by the way, in in wealthy family scenarios that they do this strategy in corporate corporations. Frank, right? They do it all the time. All the time with with how they they, they structure their corporate balance sheets and and their benefits they pay their employees. Okay, and the, you know, and you know, we're seeing it more and more in the baby boomer generation because the reality is how how do you make the most money that you know of any generation and spend the most money, right? And we see it, and then ask the question: Am I going to be okay for retirement and not have to you know live a life of of 
you know, lack of fulfillment that I thought I was going to live. Well, you know, as you were saying that, you know, we refer to the shows, you know, discovering responsible wealth. So you can have wealth and have gone through and blown through your money, but responsible wealth is really being a good steward of what you did with the money. So when you think in terms of that, if I just kind of go through the money on lifestyle and then I didn't take into account that perhaps, you know, um, I might need to provide for my wife okay if i you know if she outlives me by a significant number of years okay um and it's interesting if anyone's ever seen mortality tables but it'll show like one spouse will live till say 83 to 85 but then when you compare two life experiences right. together the second person may be here for another 10 to 12 years yes and so when you take 10 to 12 years that's a lot of years to plan for cash flow for another person and years ago frank if I worked for a company and retired, they typically had a pension right. that I could collect on. And then if I still love my wife, God willing, right? And never, my spouse would collect on the day that I wasn't here. Right. Families don't have that anymore. I think it's less than 11%, Frank, Correct. maybe it's, the number it's there. It's shifted unless they're, you know, some of the government employees, employees teachers, policemen, yeah, and so smaller forth. Smaller group. And even them, they're worried. Their comments are like, oh, I'm worried about well, my pension being They're there. under attack right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, I've talked to, you know, people in unions where their pensions are underfunded. And I've heard comments as far as how long their current pension fund will last. Right. And it's a big concern. Right. So, so that's a set of challenges that, the, that Americans haven't seen yet. So you know, people that are listening, it's 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 important to know what are the what are the potential hurdles, okay, and the things that you can maybe position and control because there's things we can't control, Frank. We can't control the interest rate environment. We can't control the stock market returns. We can't control it to a degree. We don't know when we're going to get sick or not get sick. Things may happen unexpectedly, with a, or, or things in our lives that need to be addressed. So the access to capital, you said that, and more of it without without that that risk of outliving it, very important, very important. So, you know, some of the just highlights for our listeners is, is, you know, I always say, you know, it's like kind of a three-legged, four-legged mm -hmm. stool when it comes to this at retirement, which is if you have a pension, okay, in order to maximize your payments to your pension, you would want to make sure that you had insurance behind it, and we refer to those as pension maximization, yep. which is taking out higher pension options with the backdrop of having insurance behind it. So if anything happens to me, the insurance will replace whatever the pension was. And because I do that, I get a, a larger pension payout, perhaps. The other thing is, is annuitization, which is there's really few, if any, financial products that will guarantee me income for life. And the highest income for life benefit I would get is what's called life only with a zero period certain, which means that I'm going to get income for the rest of my life, but the day I'm not here, it'll stop. That option only works well in conjunction with insurance. Mm -hmm. And then the other one that's been popular nowadays, and you know, it used to start with Robert Wagner on commercials talking about you know how, how to unlock the equity in your home, and he was talking about reverse mortgages. Well, a reverse mortgage is a way to take capital and income from a house, kind of like an annuity. You get income from the house, but it would be not it would be irresponsible to do it if I didn't have a strategy to repay that, you know, that I effectively lost the house and insurance works there. And then the last one I'm going to mention is, is that, you know, if you have charitable intent, there are programs out referred to as charitable remainder trusts, whereby assets could be sold, okay, no taxes. Um, I can get significant income off of the asset 
and then at my death, the asset goes to a charity. There's a lot of different tax aspects to it. There's some tax benefits to it, but it works really well when insurance is in place to back up the asset to the family. So the charity or your church can benefit from it. You benefit from it throughout your lifetime, and then your family still is made whole when it's utilized in conjunction with insurance. Right. So for all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. Our guest today, co-host David Suki, has been with us. My name is Frank Congelos. As we wrap up our show this week, if you have questions, you could write to us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth, 2431 Atlantic Avenue, Manasquan, New Jersey, 08736, or email us at info at com. Thank you and have a blessed week.